What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. We have a very special guest today, Mr. Corey Barrier. Corey Barrier is a sales CEO, business owner, and he's also a man of sobriety and faith and spirituality and fitness and all good things that recovery has to offer. Today, we have a pretty cool episode. We definitely talk about some hairier subjects such as mushrooms, uh, microdosing, was the other thing? Ayahuasca trips, ayahuasca retreats. Corey shares his experience with taking plant medicine, mushrooms, etc., and kind of how that has pushed forward his recovery journey. I do want to disclaim that Elevate does not give our stamp of approval on these methods as we tend to deal with people earlier on in recovery, earlier on dealing with their addiction and and improving and empowering their life. So I did want to make that disclaimer that we are not here to push for taking drugs to help with drug addiction. However, it is an interesting conversation and there is a lot to think about or discern between and we find it very interesting. So we hope you guys do as well and let's just get right into it, folks. All right, today's guest, um, we're very excited to have Corey Barrier. Uh, welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. And you've got a really interesting story and a different perspective. So we're excited to have you on and explore some some new, new avenues. Yeah. Well, um, if you would like, I can go ahead and let you in on the secrets. Yeah, tell us all your secrets, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I look, I didn't have a bad childhood. I grew up, I, to be honest, I grew up on a golf course at a country club, right? And my parents, my mom was a school teacher, and my dad uh, did very well, or did fairly well in tobacco. Uh, that was his industry. He was in it forever. And so I tell you the story about the golf course because we were not – the wealthiest people in the neighborhood. In fact, we were, I don't really know the actual, if we were the not, not wealthiest or we whatever, but I know that the people that surrounded us were, I mean, they had a lot of money and we just didn't, we weren't them, right? It was just different. And so I think for me, it put me, um, it's always kind of felt less than, if you will. Um, growing up in that environment was great. You know, except for, you know, my neighbor always got the cool ass bike and I didn't. I got like the (laughs) the not as cool bike. And so um, fast forward a little bit. um, You know, I started started messing with alcohol at the age of 13 Um, and and not heavy, but just that's when I first experimented with it. And by the age of 16, um, you know, I I was I was I was drinking uh, not regularly, but I was drinking more than a sixteen-year-old for sure should be. Um, right. I you know I did a paper route in high school and I would leave beer under the seat. 
when it was cold in the wintertime. And that's what I would drink at like 3.30 in the morning delivering papers <laughs> before I went to school. And so, you know, that led to uh, my drug career, so to speak. And what that looks like is, you know, when I was 18 is when I first tried cocaine and, you know, I started selling, right? I started selling coke and, and of course, doing it and partying by the age of 21. I had two DUIs, right? I went back to back within 30 days. Oh, man. Um, lost my license. Oh, God. But, oh, it gets better by the same cop. And I was supposed to be in court that day, and I missed court because I thought my attorney was going. So, you know, he knew exactly who I was. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a massive city. Like, what's the chances of that happening? Pretty good, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, so essentially, you know, I wound up, you know, going to college, but I, you know, I didn't finish because I would have rather partied. And, and I wanted to make money. And to be honest, I just... School was never really my jam. It just wasn't. I kind of sucked in school. And that was partially because I just didn't care. I just didn't care. Um, and, it, and it is what it is. So let's fast forward to um, 2002. I moved to Las Vegas. I, I, had, um, I had, gone in, uh, had gone to the Republican National Convention in 2000. And... I was living in Charlotte, and I had gone there to sell, um, uh, like, uh, memorabilia to both protesters and to Republicans, right? So nice. I was there. It was, it, dude, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. It's a good way to so make money. <laughs> to, dude, it was so much fun. And, you know, being the partier, I mean, it being, and being in, let's see, that was in, New York was 2004, 2000 was uh, New um, Philadelphia. Anyway, it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. And then I went and followed Al Gore on his, uh, his bus tour, whatever you want to call it, which was also interesting. <laughs> I got arrested on that whole trip um, and got thrown into a, Pink jail, jail cell for pot and in in um, or, uh, West Virginia, and it was, the, it was the weirdest thing. But anyway, so it, the funny part about that story is the cop let us go. He locked us up, let us go without paying, which is strange. And and, and we came back and paid him. And when we walked in, the guy said. Oh, that's the guys with the good with the good stuff. These fucking cops, um, yeah, they smoked it, right? They smoked the weed. <laughs> no question. Oh wow! And so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was de definitely interesting. So let's fast forward a bit. Um, I was pretty deep into. Um, at this point, let's fast forward to two thousand three. I had moved to Las Vegas. Um, actually, that was before 2003, but I have to tell you the story because it's pretty amazing. So I moved to Las Vegas with four ounces of, of cocaine strapped to my inside of my leg with <laughs> duct tape, thinking that wasn't going to set off the metal detector on a train. Not to, I'd never even been on a train, so they don't have metal detectors in trains, first of all. Second of all, I'd have been caught if they have. And so... 
I, for four four days straight, I was on this train, and I was I, I wasn't bright enough to get a sleeper car, so I was in a seat the whole time. Oh damn! And oh, dude, it was such a rough. It was it was a rough ride, but I wound up you know doing coke with people on the train and <laughs> made some friends. You know, <laughs> made some friends, right? I had some vodka with me. I was good. So I get to Vegas and. Uh, let me just fast forward. I started working for this company that we were selling uh, long distance, and it was it was we were selling per call unit, not per minute. And if you all remember, you used to get the call if you're older. Remember that? Um, you know, AT and T would say ten cents a minute. Da da da. We were ten cents a call unit. So essentially, what we were doing is there was like thirty eight call units in a minute. So really, you're paying like three dollars and eighty cents not 10 cents a minute and so essentially we're ripping people off and i i just i was getting paid well and i just did, i didn't really pay attention and so i did wonder why we changed names three times while i was there yeah. um <laughs> oh my gosh so but here's the here's the here's the great story about vegas so i was sitting on a couch with a guy named stormy on my right and a guy named Ed on my left. Now, these two guys knew each other from a maximum security prison. So you can only imagine. Good company. What these two folks were like. Oh, yeah, dude. It was God. And so we're sitting there. We had just smoked some crystal meth. Nice. And we were watching television, and these two guys pop up on the news. Both their faces right there. And I'm like, I'm from Mayberry, dude. Like, I'm from a small town. And I almost shit myself because I'm like, these two guys are probably getting ready to kill me. Like, there's no reason why they wouldn't try to intimidate me at this point because I'm a witness at this point. Were they escaped prisoners or why were they on the news? Oh, sorry. I did leave that part out. They had robbed a small casino in Vegas. (laughs) That'll get you on the news. And I'm like, you. Oh, my gosh. So I. So they left and didn't say, like, nobody said anything. No, no, there was no discussion around it. It was the weirdest, it was the weirdest, 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 weirdest thing probably I've ever been in in my life. Um, and so I eventually, I left Vegas after after a year, and, and I came back to North Carolina and cleaned up to move to Raleigh, which is where I live now, and started dealing drugs again. And got caught in 2005 i got caught with four ounces of cocaine and so that was the final straw for me um no pun intended yeah. um the, <laughs> right the that was final good. straw for me was i haven't you know i haven't done cocaine since then because i look the judge put me on pretty intense probation and and allowed me to not go to jail and go to a rehab facility and the rehab facility knew i was court ordered and so if you're there you know, in your own free will, they treat you very differently than if you're there court ordered. They know if you're court ordered, you have to do whatever they say, right? I mean, it's, and, and it was, I hated it. It was miserable, but it wasn't jail or it wasn't prison rather. So when I got out of there, I, you know, it was a Pentecostal holiness place and I'm not Pentecostal holiness. In fact, I hope to God I never stepped foot into another Pentecostal holiness church. And nothing against the people that go there. This experience just was really shitty. And so, um, in order for me to leave there, I had to get married. 
They wouldn't let me leave with my current girlfriend because of their stupid rule. So I had, I, so I was like, I'm not seeing here another day. If I can get out on this date, I'm getting married the day before so I can get out. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I've never heard of anything like yeah. that. Wow. We, yeah, we're, we're like I the sure exact did. opposite. It, like, that's the last thing we want. <laughs> we want you to leave single and. Right. Yeah. right. So, you know, and that was a nightmare because she also knew I was, it, that's a whole different story. But um, so. I did get married and it was for that reason and that reason only. As soon as I got my license back after the eighth year, um, I, I left. And so this is kind of where my non-drinking journey starts. Um, they had to put, I had to put the, the, the blow thing in my car and it was in for seven years. Well, when I first put it in, of course I set it off because I hadn't stopped drinking yet. Gotcha. And, and I went down to the, the DMV to my hearing, and the lady point blank said, "If I see you in here again, I will—I promise you—you you will never, ever, ever drive a car again." I think she probably knew that I lied about drinking. Obviously, she knew that. I mean, she deals with people like me all the time. She's not stupid, but I lied, of course, and said I wasn't drinking anyway. Um, so that's when I decided to go to AA, and and you know, AA served its purpose at the time it helped me to kind of get my head screwed on straight and help me get back on my feet because i realized i'm not going to be able to achieve the things in life i want to achieve without a driver's license let's just be honest it doesn't make i mean maybe if you live somewhere where you don't have to have one but i live in north carolina you have to have a driver's license if you want to be mobile and so i i just wasn't willing to I wasn't willing to depend on somebody. I, I've never really wanted or ever had the desire to depend on somebody else for what I need. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I would rather just do it myself. And, you know, after going to AA for, let's say six years, um, I realized one day I was watching, I was taking my NLP stuff. And the guy said, um, I am is the two most powerful words in the English dictionary. And it hit me. It was like cold, damn your cold chills. And I thought, oh, my God, every day I go to AA, I have to say I am an alcoholic. And I'm not an alcoholic. I hadn't drank for six years. And I don't really think I should be labeled as an alcoholic if, I don't, if I'm not drinking alcoholically. Which I'm not. That makes sense. And, right. And so it was just a complete mindset shift. If you've ever been to AA, and I assume you both have probably stepped into a meeting at least to see what it was like, you know that it, well, I'll speak for the meetings that I went to. They make you feel like if you leave, you're screwed, right? You yeah. are for sure going to relapse. And that wasn't the case for me. It just wasn't because I'd already been, I'd already not drank for that long. Why would I pick up? Like, I, it doesn't make sense. So fast forward, um, after coming to this realization, I never attended another AA meeting. And I'm still just as clean as I was from the first day. I mean, it's been almost 12 years. And so 
I just think that people really should think about the words they say. The you know, you can shape your future by the words that you say. I mean, you can literally create things in your life if you want to by the power of your brain. I'll give you a couple of examples. So once I started on this journey, I started journaling every day. It's funny, um, if, and I do have one of them right here. And it's important that I show you what it says because my wife bought this for me. And, and if you can see... I like that. There you go. Okay, fine. I'm grateful. <laughs> exactly. So it's basically she's basically saying, "Hey, you you need to like you, you need to be grateful. Be grateful for something." Yeah. So here's a book. Figure it Find out. Find one thing. <laughs> right. And so I started journaling, and what I realized is in journaling I could write out what's going to happen in the future, and I write it as if it's already happened, and. I, you know, I went to go see Tony Robbins that exact same way. I joined the RT syndicate the exact same nice. way. Um, it's there's so many things in my life that I've been able to shape, so to speak, through journaling and visualization and just spending time every morning with Corey, with it being quiet or listening to a book. Or I prime every morning. I don't know if you all know what that is, but it's a Tony Robbins exercise. And it just takes you through some affirmations. It takes you through some visualizations. And and it, it centers me personally. And I know for me, if I don't do that in the morning, the rest of the day may not go quite as well as I want it to. If I don't exercise in the morning, I know my day is probably not going to go quite as well as it is going to. So keeping the promises to yourself, what I mean by that is, uh, here's an example. In in the mornings, I either go to the gym or I run. And I usually run a, a four-mile run, and there have been days that I've convinced myself to not do that. And what I noticed on those days is that it, they didn't go as well. And, and the reason they didn't go as well is because I broke that first promise to myself, which was, I'm going to run four miles, and then I, I I get lazy, and I said, oh, screw it, I'll just cut, take a shortcut today, and I won't, do, I'll convince myself to not do the four, the full four miles, and so, you know, I think it's super important, and it's super important to keep those promises to yourself, so, so that you can keep them for other people, you know, if you can't keep the promises to yourself, I think it's going to be hard to keep them for other people, right? Absolutely. And and at the end of the day, the only person that knows is you. And so, you know, there's that holding yourself accountable to you. Uh, I think that sets a lot of people apart is is walking that walk right there that you're talking about. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of this may have even come from 75 hard. Right. I mean, I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. Like that's, you know, it's funny because nobody really knows but they do know, uh, or at least you're right. Like you said, you know, I know, I know if I don't do one of those five tasks and I lie about it, I'm not going to feel good about me. And so if I don't feel good about me, I probably can't serve my clients. I can't serve you can't serve whoever, um, as the, you know, at the level that I'd like to serve them, if that makes sense. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. I just completed 75 hard, uh, Last month? Yeah, about a month ago. And I'm going to start phase one at some point here. Soon. 
Yeah, those showers are not fun. <laughs> That's why I'm waiting for it to just like warm up a little bit before I hit that part. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine living somewhere like North Dakota and doing this. Right? Yeah. That would be yeah. tough. Florida would be great. So, oh, God, Florida would. You're right. Yeah. So I, I do want to talk about one other thing that's, or, well, we could talk about several other things, but one in particular that is kind of maybe even a hairy subject around, um, you know, sobriety. And I don't know if it is or not, but we're going to talk about it and we'll see what you think. Perfect. So um, in 2020, um, and I did my second, I started my, my second 75 hard early April because like everybody else on the planet, no, we didn't know what was going on. Right. And and we were doing like probably 90% of the rest of Americans and maybe the rest of the whole world. We were sitting on the couch eating, eating crap and watching Netflix. I said to my wife, I said, look, we got to change something or we're going to be just like everybody else that's sitting around doing absolutely nothing. And so that's why we did the second round of 75 hard. But during that, I did my first ayahuasca journey. Wow. So for anybody in the audience that does not know what ayahuasca is, it's an Amazonian tea that has DMT properties. I can't tell you DMT. I I, I can see kind of the words, but it's pretty long. So I, I, I don't know. The, yeah, it's like a, a hallucinogenic property, mushroom, acid type of type of deal. Yes, sort of. Yes, in a way. It's so that's what I thought. Okay. I, that's exactly what I, I thought it was going to be that when I went down the first time. Gotcha. I thought, I'm going to go down. I'm going to blast off. I'm going to get some spiritual stuff. It's going to be great. <laughs> I, get, I get down there and I drink my first dose of medicine and I fall asleep. Oh, wow. And I sleep through the whole, yeah, sleep through the whole night. And I wake up and I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. And so, so the second night or the, the, the second, so you, you, you do three ceremonies at a time. So it was a Friday night, a Saturday morning and a Saturday night. So that Saturday morning, here's where it really shook, shook me, so to speak. Um, I had drank my, I drank my medicine that morning and, and I was on all fours throwing up. And amongst a bunch of other people that were flailing around and crying and laughing and, and flopping. And I mean, some, some of the folks look crazy. And so <laughs> I was looking around and I'm like, why am I not? Why, why do I still feel pretty normal? And it was like a bolt of lightning came down and said, Corey, you have compared yourself to other people your whole entire life. You're not here for them. It doesn't matter what they're doing in their journey. You need to focus on you and you need to focus on you from now on and stop worrying about the people around you. And that was really powerful for me. Wow. Because I have compared myself to other people, including my dad. And I didn't know this. I really didn't know this until that Monday morning when I got home. Now, keep in mind, I, you know, that was the biggest thing that came out of that first journey until I got home. And so if uh, for those that don't know that much about ayahuasca, you they call it downloads. And this happens after you're done with the journey. The journey is, this, is kind of the beginning, but the real work is done when you integrate back into regular society and 
you integrate some of these things that you learn about yourself, and that's where the challenge is because you're different now, right? Things are different. You're looking through a new pair of glasses, so to speak. And so I, I was mowing my front yard, and also the, the week after, you're you're a little bit weird, a little out of it. lack of better terms. Yeah, it's kind of out of it. You're just I don't. It's out of it's the best way to say it, I guess. Yeah. So. So I was mowing my front yard with the same lawnmower that I've used for the last five years. My dad bought it for me when we bought our house. And, and I realized at, when I looked down at the lawnmower, no differently than I had for the last five years, and I realized it was kind of like the not comparing yourself to everybody else kind of situation. It was what I realized is at, at, at my age, so I'm 43 now, and at 43, when my dad was 43, he's always been wealthier at, 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 at whatever age I was at. He's always been better. He, he's always been further along in life, so to speak. And, and so I, I realized that I don't, I didn't talk to my dad as much as I should have because of that reason, which sounds a little weird because I didn't know this was the reason until that day on that monday and it's not that i had a bad relationship with my dad i had a great i have a great relationship with him but there was it was almost like a subconscious um this weight i guess that was laying on my shoulders that i just didn't know yeah so wow um so i got to have a really powerful conversation with him that evening um he didn't know because of my drug history, naturally, I didn't tell him I was going to drink ayahuasca. <laughs> you you kind of held so, that one back. <laughs> right. So, But I had to tell him at that point, which is fine. I'm an adult. It's okay. It's okay if he gets upset. Um, but at the end of the day, like we, just, we both cried. It was a really powerful conversation, one that I've never had. Well, I've never had a conversation like that, that, that deep with my dad. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll, you have any questions and then I'm going to dive right into the second journey. I think we should, we should go right into the second and then we can kind of talk about, you know, maybe all of our opinions on it or ideas around it and maybe the pros, the cons, something like that. That'd be cool with me. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, okay. So I waited until, um, I think it was in August when I went back. Okay, and, and did, sorry, yeah, Corey. And where is where was is this? it? Mexico did you go to or Brazil? Canada? Orlando, Florida. Oh, wow! Stateside. <laughs> it's Orlando yeah, it's breaking rules. Few, <laughs> well, it's one of the few ayahuasca churches in the U.S. I mean, it's a legitimate ayahuasca church and it's treated just like a church no way wow i did not know that that's crazy okay yeah i would have pictured like sedona or something like that yeah and it you know it's such a it's weird it's kind of it's in like it's actually in like a neighborhood but then you get there and you step foot on the property you know because you, you feel a little crunchy while you're there because it's kind of a crunchy thing so <laughs> to speak you know like I mean, you're, you're just around. I mean, like, hey, look, there's people from all walks of life. There's vet, veterans that come there, and, and 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 this is the conversation. 
if this doesn't work, I'm going to blow my brain down. Yeah. And so, so they, they bring 10 veterans in. I'm not a veteran, but they bring 10 veterans in every Wednesday free of charge. In fact, they will pay for their journey. They will pay for their flight. They will pay for everything if that person doesn't have the means to get there. And so, um, so it's really, it's just a cool, cool place. But the, the feeling, the love that you feel when you get there is just so, like, I can't even describe it. Like it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like you've stepped onto a holy ground. And so the second time I went down, I went and I host a podcast and I interviewed the medical director and the camera that we were recording the video on ran out in the middle of the session. Oh, damn. And so, right. And so we didn't know that, but here's the catch. And you guys are going to love this. I didn't understand. I didn't catch what he said the first time. And he said something about control, you know, being in control or a lot of folks that come there are, you know, they have control issues. And so the beautiful thing about having to do that interview all over again was that the doctor at, at the second one said, looked at me and he said, do you think you have control issues? And I said, well, yeah, probably so. <laughs> he said, well, he said, well, listen, he said, this is what I'm going to recommend. He said, and if you do what I said, what I, how I tell you to do this, you'll get the results that you're looking for, or you'll at least get the result. You'll get results because I was, I was a little bummed out from the last time. And so, um, so I did. And, and he, he, the most powerful thing about this is the fact that I had to do the thing twice. And it was a God thing, right? God said, look, Corey, you didn't listen the first time. So now you have to go and do this over, pay attention. And so the doctor said, he said, Corey, just, I want you just to shut your eyes and lay back and relax and don't think about anything and put the blindfold on your eyes because they do offer that. I must have missed that in the directions the first time because I didn't do that the first time. <laughs> so, so I did that and I literally had to just talk to myself and Mother Ayahuasca. And I just said, Mother Ayahuasca, whatever, you're here to show me. I want you to come in and show me now. And I just laid there still. And, and I would say less than 60 seconds, that's when it, that's when it happened. And it uh, and I can't describe the feeling. It, I would say that it's maybe a mixture of maybe acid and mushrooms, but 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 slightly different. I don't know. It's weird. I, and if you've never done it, it's hard to explain. Um, but but I, I so I followed his directions, and I did. I got the results I was looking. Well, I got results. It wasn't necessarily results I was looking for. Results, nonetheless. Um, and one thing that right. And so, but it was powerful because one of the messages, two 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 messages I got during that journey was one: you need to be more patient. I was stuck on the toilet, and I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't go to the restroom, and I'm I, I hate going to the restroom, and so. It was in that moment that God's like, dude, or Mother Ayahuasca, I'm not sure what it was, but it was like, dude, you got to be more patient. And essentially, the second thing that happened, and this was the biggest thing out of 
all of it, the biggest mover for me was I realized that I didn't value myself as much as other people value me. And that was the message. And in my heart of hearts, I knew what he was taught. I knew what the message meant, but I turned my back on it. And I said, I don't, that's, it can't be this thing. And it, and it was that thing that I needed to remove out of my life so I could move forward and, and gain the success that I was really looking for. And I got to tell you, after that, I, I, my income quadrupled. Wow. And it was just a mindset shift. And that's a fact. Wow. So you kind of had, you had the first experience that was, you know, a little, maybe not as exciting as you thought it was going to be. And then the second one was extremely powerful for you. I mean, the first one sound powerful too, with your father and stuff like that. And then it seems like the second one was far more like spiritual, like internal for you. Is that correct? I'd say I'm absolutely correct. Wow. Yeah, no, that's pretty crazy. I've definitely heard about some ayahuasca experiences and we've had clients that have like done the ayahuasca detox, which, you know, is is successful in its own right. You know, I always have kind of had this like um, aversion to like using drugs to get off drugs. But as as I've been sober longer or in the field longer, you know, I think the big thing I always come back to is it's not one size fits all and there's not one way to do this, which you kind of highlighted at the beginning of, you know, I did six years of AA and realized basically you're just like, Hey, I'm going to reevaluate this. Is this still working for me? Am I still having benefits from going to AA every day? You know, which I, I subscribe to as well, where, you know, it's seen like, from what I took from your story, Corey was like, I did six years of AA and then reevaluated my life, which everyone probably should at minimum every six years reevaluate their life. Hmm. And you took a different direction. You're like, dude, let's get into Tony Robbins. Let's get into, you know, some affirmations and visualizations. Let's do some different stuff and you achieve different results. And then fast forward to COVID, the pandemic, Let's do 75 hard. Let's work out. Let's look in. Let's look into this ayahuasca thing. 11 years sober. So kind of like I like the idea that while you're like reevaluating, it's coming from these like very like legit like reasons and motivations. Like it's not a I don't I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it doesn't seem like poor intentions. You know, someone with a decade of sobriety it's you've you've you get to know yourself you know so that was kind of what i was hearing and in the parts that i did agree with and enjoy you sharing i like those a lot yeah so um i think that you know and i look and, I, and i'm not an i'm not saying surely not saying that everybody should go do ayahuasca i think it's I think you should be called to do ayahuasca. I think there's got to be something inside of you that says there's something more that I need to figure out. There's something deeper in my journey that I want to know. And that's the best way I can describe how I was drawn to it. And I found it 
ironically, I found it through, I don't know if you guys know a guy named Brian Rose. He, he's the run for mayor in London. No, I've never um, heard of him. He, he hosts a pretty big show, and I can't remember the daggone name of it, but but he did a whole theory, he did a documentary about his journey with ayahuasca. And um, with uh, and he interviewed uh, Dennis McKenna and a bunch of guys that are in that kind of that psychedelic space, right, 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 for the greater good, right? It's mm-hmm. it's doctors, it's um, you know people that have done a lot of deep work. And I don't, when I say deep work, I don't necessarily mean a bunch of a bunch of ayahuasca journeys. Uh, I, in fact, I think Dennis McKenna's only done like one or two. It's not been a lot. Like that's all he needed, and sometimes that is all you need. And then sometimes you want to go deeper. And and for me, I'm curious. I want to go deeper. I want to learn more about myself. I want to get better. And if that means I've got to go throw up for 48 hours, <laughs> let's do it. Well, stop, you know, sign me up. I mean, I've done it for way less. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Exactly. You've thrown <laughs> up for 48 hours to lose a lot. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, I like that too, Corey. I like I like what you said as far as the downloading part, like the processing part, the integration part, you know, because I think I think that's how like therapy is too. Like you can only really take so much in an an hour therapy session. You can only really process so much, and I think the results don't show when you don't integrate or you don't take it with you, you don't explore what just happened, you know, and like with therapy, it's like, Hey, let's talk about your life and reevaluate it. And to me, that's kind of the theme that continues to come up is this reevaluation or this changing or this processing of what all that meant. Almost like let's, let's update our hardware or our software on how we feel now versus how we felt then. And to me, I think that's a super valuable lesson that everyone can take and everyone can achieve that through different mediums, you know, whether that is therapy or counseling or AA or ayahuasca or microdosing, right? I'm not here to say any of that is what you should or shouldn't do, but it can happen through all of those things. Yeah, I mean, even meditation, uh, working out, like it can happen at any point in time, I think, when you're continuing to better yourself that download can occur. Sure. Um, so if you guys are cool with it, I'd love to just, I would love to have a candid conversation about microdosing. Yeah. I'm cool with it, Ange. I mean, it's our show. We got unanimous. That's right. Decision here. We got a unanimous decision here. Yeah. I actually, me and a, a buddy of mine, we, me and him go back and forth on it so much. And it's strange. Cause yeah, it's 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 just strange, I guess. So, where should we start, Corey? Well, um, I would say so. Uh, I've had I've had some experience with microdosing, and and I think it's amazing. And I think that I, I got to be honest. I mean, I, it it's almost like and this is going to sound bizarre, but it's almost like. It's like if you look around with whatever all the stuff that's going on, and if you listen to if you listen to Andy, and then you listen to whoever else, and you listen to this person. As I'm moving my hand, you can't even see me. Anyway, we could probably turn the video back is, on. I think we're doing pretty good here. 
I think so too. Um, yeah, because I'd much rather have the video. On. Yeah, me too. You got a great face, man. Thank you. So the point is, is that I think with everything going on around us, I can kind of see the forest through the trees. And I can't say that that's always been the case, but, and, and I guess what I'm trying, I'm not psychic, I'm not saying that at all, but what I'm saying is that there's a, a level of discernment that I have now, and I do believe I can contribute that to, you know, either the ayahuasca or my microdosing or both. Um, I don't think that, I don't think anyone should be nervous or scared about the addiction portion of microdosing because I don't think it's an addictive thing. Right. I think the results are uh, somewhat addicting because it's, 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 it's kind of cool, right? I mean, it's really cool to be able to see things that other people don't see or to be able to sift through the stuff that's happening right now and and, and be able to kind of put these things in a box. For example, like we, in North Carolina, we have a gas shortage. So weirdest thing ever, how did this happen? We got a cyber attack on a gas line. Like it just doesn't add up. And, and I, but, but yet people are, you know, killing each other to get to the gas station. And it's like, you know, not driven in a year and a half. Like, do you really need that much gas right now? Like cars on the road. Fear, man. People do so, weird things you know, when they're scared. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of control going on in the world right they now. They do. <laughs> there is. There is. And, you know, and fear is, you know, that's one thing that I speak about a lot. Because, I mean, I look, I work with small to, small to medium-sized businesses, and I work with frustrated business owners and their sales team. Of course. And their sales teams are not doing well because of fear. Mm -hmm. They're scared to ask the question of, will you buy my shit? <laughs> or, you know, I mean, like, if you don't ask for the money, people are not going to give it no. to you. They're just not. I mean, so, you know, um, so that's really, I focus a lot on that because, you know, I think fear is the number one thing that holds people back in anything. Uh, whether it be sales, whether it be going to get a different job, whether it be starting a business, starting a podcast, starting whatever, it's just, and Left Brown says it, he says, false evidence appearing real is fear. False evidence appearing real. And and I think it explains it pretty clearly. You know, it is false. It's we, and, and Angie, I know you've heard Ed say this, we don't have to believe everything we think. We don't. Mm. And, you know, I can believe that Trump won. But as it stands right now, Trump didn't win. Right? But if I believe that, it's true. If you believe that, it's true. If you believe it's opposite, you're right. Whatever you believe, you're right. If it's good, bad, or indifferent. Because it's your fault. No, that's true for you. It's true. Yeah, 100%. no, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Beliefs, beliefs are powerful, yeah. but they're also, they mean everything and they mean nothing all at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's the weirdest like dichotomy right there. You know, I think, um, 
the the one thing I would say about, I mean, maybe not micro, maybe not micro dosing. I guess my big concern with it is is twofold, right? The first one is the message it can convey to people that quote unquote like don't have their shit together, you know, right? Like kind of getting. That information, like getting into the wrong hands, you know, someone with three months, six months, a year sober, like I wouldn't want them to take that and run with it Agreed. just based on, on history, you know, um, not that I have like this doctoral credit of like, you can't do mushrooms or microdose a year after sobriety or anything like that, but it's my fear or my worry. The second thing is and this is kind of my own experience and my own opinion as well. And I'd like to know how you kind of feel about this as well, Corey and Angie as well is a lot of times in recovery or I'm sorry, uh, addiction. I think we we're using substances to fix something. Right. And it's kind of this shortcut, right? If I take enough Xanax, I don't have to worry. If I could do enough heroin, I don't have to feel if I could drink alcohol, then I could talk to a girl or whatever it is, right? If I smoke this pot, I could relax. So it tends to become the solutions to our problems. And I think that behavior can be toxic or can be unhelpful or unskillful. And so the correlation that I see with the microdosing through my eyes is it can be a shortcut or it can be, again, this like solution to our problem, you know, whether that be discerning our emotions or having a spiritual experience and so it for me it's a worry that it gets into the wrong hands it's a worry that we're taking the easier road where that easier road has not served us in the past or has not served me so that's kind of my stance on it but I'm not close-minded to saying everyone has their own journey as well like I'm really right in the middle sure. of like I wouldn't do it, but I'm not gonna tell you not to based on where you're at in your life type of thing. Does yeah. that make sense? A hundred percent. And 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 you perfectly put exactly what my viewpoint on it has been because I've actually been asked on different podcasts too of what my or our stance is on it. And I think, you know, anytime we're dealing with somebody who has addiction in their past or is a recovering addict. It can be a slippery slope. So I never want to give someone permission to get on that slope right. without knowing their personal integrity or journey or where they're at and if they can handle it or not. However, I've seen many professionals, entrepreneurs that utilize uh, microdosing and they don't have that same sort of either addictive past or present and they get a lot of benefit out of it. So again, I, I agree it's 100% a personal journey, one that I can't like cosign or not sign because I get it's very personal. Yeah. I agree. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I can't cosign it, or not sign. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> I would ha I I one thousand percent agree with you. In fact, I would encourage anybody listening if you do fall into that even one to three year category yeah. or zero to three year category. You're just not, re I, you know, you're probably just not really ready to take that kind of step because, look, you you have those. You have to be, you have to mature as you 
get into, if you want to call it recovery or sobriety or, or just not drinking or whatever, you, it, it's, you have to be really, really careful because I don't know about you all, but when I came into AA, I was a freaking train wreck. We were um, too. Yeah, we were too. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, so, it, so I wouldn't encourage anybody to, to, to even think about doing this in their first three years. I did it, you know, when I did, it was, man, I mean, I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years in and it was just, it was, it was, and, and if I'm being transparent, like I was a little bit, it, I was like, I, I don't know if this is going to be a slippery slope. And so I had to do research. Yeah. I had to do a lot of research before I put it in my body because you, you all know, I don't, the last thing I want is first to wind up the liquor store. Of course. Right? I mean, that's the last thing well, I want. Especially after you've worked so hard to build, you know, a house, a job, a wife, a family, like you don't want to lose all that. And maybe that's part of the perspective as well as now I've got all this to lose. So it's easier for me to keep control over it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And I have worked really hard for the things that I have, and I don't want to lose it. And I also know know that, you know, even though I don't drink, I don't know that I can drink successfully. But guess what? I'm really not going to find out. Yeah, yeah I don't want to know I'm either. Yeah. No, I'm just not. I haven't been successful in the past. So I, I'm just going to rest on the past in this situation and just – Stay in my lane. I know what works. I know what you do not work. Why would I go back there? Doesn't make sense. Exactly. No, yeah, I think, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought this up, Corey, because it's it is definitely like trending right now. It's kind of like pop culture-y, you know, and um yeah, it's it's I think it's it's important. It's almost like politics, right? Like how do you have a conversation against like one side versus the other and it's most of us are far more in the middle of like, I don't really know. I can't, I can't really advise someone on what to do with their life. I can only advise off my own experience and generally kind of what I know about addiction and counseling and all that other stuff. But I think the last point that I think is relevant, it, and, and this is, yeah, I'll just say it. So my opinion on recovery is that it's oftentimes just a projection of how we got sober. You know, if you got sober in AA, that's the way to do it. If you got sober at Elevated Addiction Services, that's the only way to do it. Not that we believe that, but just for the sake of the example. If you took ayahuasca in Mexico to get sober and it worked, that's the way to do it. So a lot of times you just see kind of people projecting what they did onto everybody else. So I have like this big, you know, kind of driving force to not really do that. I know what worked for me and I generally know what could be helpful for other people, but that's pretty much it. The way I did it isn't the perfect way to do it. And I think this is just a perfect example that illuminates that is I, I can't tell you it wouldn't work, but we should have a conversation around it. We should have a discussion and see what makes the most sense for that person as an individual. And people struggle to do that, I think. You know, it's kind of like just asking for help, I think, really hard for, for people. And, and, and maybe that kind of goes back to the sales thing that, like, 
you know, if you're in sales and you can't ask for the sale, then you're probably not going to get it. It's the same way with Help. anything in life. I mean, yeah. I mean, you remember when you first got sober that, and you obviously you guys are going to know what I mean by this, but the, the 10 pound phone, I mean, yeah. to pick up that phone and call somebody and say, Hey, Angie, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm going to go to the liquor store was hard. Yeah. Right. That was really hard. In fact, it was so hard. I, I just decided not to do it most of the time. Yeah, I decided so, not to do it for a long time. But I also got the result of not doing it as well, which is I drank. That's the irony, right? So, <laughs> and then you have like what happened to us where yeah, you're forced it, into it. So it's like, you, you you know, it's go to prison or get sober. Then it makes the decision a little bit easier. Then the phone's only five pounds. Yeah, then it's like, okay, I guess I can make that call. Mm-hmm. The 10,000 pound so, jail cell. Can you expand Right. Can you expand on that? Because I don't know what you mean by you had a choice of whether you were going to prison or get sober. I don't know the story. Oh, uh, not too dissimilar to your own, but I had gotten myself in some trouble and I was basically given an not an ultimate. Well, maybe a bit of an ultimatum, kind of, kind of an <laughs> yeah, ultimatum yeah. by the judge. And I actually recently just found this out. I found it very interesting. He was the first judge in Reno that utilized drug diversion programs in lieu of uh, prison time. And that's what he gave me as an option to go to rehab for a year or and and probation for three years after that or go to prison for 10 years. And so I opted for drug rehab and, you know, fast forward 27 years. I'm still here. Um, Case and, study. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it works. Drug diversion actually works. And um, so, you know, he made that decision very easy for me, you know, uh, drug rehab or prison. OK, I'll go to drug rehab. And I was still you know, in denial a lot in the beginning because it wasn't necessarily my choice to go to mm-hmm. rehab. So there was still a bit of kicking and screaming I did in the beginning. And then, you know, with work and continued work, you know, at some point that that light bulb comes on and then you're there for you. And that's uh, kind of what happened for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that. That's interesting. Yeah, very similar, I guess. Yeah, obviously, yeah, almost exactly. Like the choice was go to prison or go to rehab, right? And it was an easy That's choice. That's an easy one. Yeah. 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 Well, and here's one thing I forgot to tell you is that you know, while that was such a blessing, the judge said, "All right, here's the other part to that. You have 24 hours to figure out where you're going to go, and oh, it has to be six months or more, right?" I'm in jail. Like, how am I going to find somewhere in 24 hours? That's so six months long. The only great. That's six months long, right? It's not easy to find that. You know, you try a 30 day program all day long. For sure. But six months, a little tricky. So, um, the one good thing I can say about my stepmother, and the one good thing about her being my stepmother, is she got me into that program. If it hadn't been for her, I don't know I'd be sitting here right now. And the only thing, the only price you had Other to pay was that, to get married, to get out. No big deal. Exactly. <laughs> and the price of the divorce. So, the, the, but, but you know what? And I've been, I've been married and divorced twice. I've been married three times and I've been divorced twice while I've been sober, so to speak, not drinking, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good to know too. Like, yeah. And I've also transitioned. I sold a business, started another business, which my business partner, um, I'll just tell you, he was screwing this girl that I fired, and I didn't know. I had no idea. And so he came into my office in 2018 and said, look, I'm not paying you anymore. And essentially, I had to exit that business with $0. Ah. Um, he also 
failed, failed to tell me we were $350,000 in debt until that day. So here's the, the, the great thing that came out of it is I did walk away with zero dollars, zero assets, zero everything. Zero debt. Um, but I walked away with zero debt. That's a win. Yeah. It's, that's a win. It's a huge win. Huge win. So, you know, and everything happens, you know, for a reason. And I believe that. And I believe we're sitting here right now on purpose. Yeah. And whoever listens to this, it'll be intentional. So um, I don't believe in coincidence. I do believe in, you know, divine intervention. I really do believe in that. Yeah. So, well, and, and just to yeah. parallel our stories just a little more, I was actually sentenced to a year. And so for me to find a rehab that would actually keep me for a year uh, was, was just as difficult. Was just as difficult. And I was blessed to find the one I did where I actually loved it and it did save my life and I wanted to stay there. So, uh, yeah, there are no coincidences. That's for sure. Yeah. I know. I was almost going to say that. Like, I'm like, wasn't that your story yep. too? Or you had it's like, hey, you got to go to rehab tomorrow for a year. Yeah. You might want to get on the internet. Ah, uh, this was pre-internet, pal. Pre-internet, <laughs> but. I was lucky my best friend had gone through a program the year prior at her friend's dad's house. So I was like, ah, I might as well go there. You went there. It yeah. helped you. Maybe it could help me. So um, I got very yeah. lucky. Yeah, I didn't get that lucky, but I got lucky to stay out of jail. So that's for sure. Ain't that the truth? So. Yeah. Yeah, and I think another cool thing to highlight too, which you said, Corey, which maybe is not as cool for you because you're the one that had to go through the two divorces. But a lot of times you hear people that say when they get sober, like, "What am I gonna do when I go to a wedding? How am I not gonna have a toast when I'm at a wedding? Like, how could I ever get through a divorce? How could I ever start a business sober?" and it's always assuring or nice to hear people explain that they go through trials and tribulations while still sober, you know, and that it's it's you're capable of getting through life without drugs and alcohol, you know. So I always like that message because I guarantee you there's someone in the audience that doesn't believe that, you know, and has a reservation to have a toast at a wedding and, you know, if I ever get divorced or if my spouse leaves me, I'm drinking. You know, so it's, it, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Well, guess what you're going to get if you drink after any of those things, you're going to get the same damn thing as you got before. So if you think the divorce was bad, Just wait. Oh, go ahead and pour some vodka on top of it, dude. Yeah. Because <laughs> guess what? It's really going to suck yeah. in. Because not only are you getting a divorce, you're also going to be hungover. You're also going to feel betrayed. You're also going to feel like you betrayed your. I mean, the list goes on and on. Like it just doesn't. That list has no place in my life, dude. Yeah, and the list. <laughs> yeah, if you think the list is bad, just wait. It, the <laughs> list can always go down. Yeah, you can keep digging. <laughs> yeah, that is the truth. And you know, I just <laughs> yeah. And was it? And was it hard? Yeah, but I. Guarantee you it would have been harder if I had a drink. Guarantee it. Yeah, life's hard. I have it is hard. But yeah, it is what it is. We get to do everything that we get to do. We get to sit here today. We get to breathe air, hopefully not through a mask. We get to, (laughs) you know, we get to just, you know, have the freedoms that we still have currently. Um does feel like those are dwindling (laughs) every day. But it's a little it's a little nerve wracking. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. 
but it is what it is. So, Mr. Corey, today, 12 years sober, what is uh, – I know you've you've alluded to it and you've kind of talked about it pretty in depth, but what else does your recovery look like today? Like, has there any been – has there been any new – strategies, skills, events, things you've taken on um, that you kind of participate in now? I know you kind of mentioned 75 hard and the fitness stuff, but is there anything else? Um, I would say that, you know, I do my, I do my priming, I do my journaling. Um, and the priming is sort of a, a form of meditation. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, not, not, not really. I, I don't, other than that, I don't know that I really do anything else intentionally. I don't really have to think about, I don't think about not drinking. I don't think about awesome. going to a wedding and not drinking. I don't think, I mean, listen, I've told more than one person that I don't drink and they just move on. Like it's not what we think it's going to be. Yeah. It's not that, hey, Corey, you're such a loser and you should really, you know, I can't believe you're not drinking. That's what we think. We think we're going to be shamed because we say we don't drink. But guess what? There's a lot of people that just don't drink. And newsflash, you know, you don't have to come up with a right. You don't have to come up with a funny saying afterwards. I break out in handcuffs. You can, <laughs> but you don't need to. You can just say, "I don't drink," and and they're not. Nobody's going to say anything. Like it'll be just normal. I love the. Uh, so, I spilt more beer than you've drank, kid. <laughs> You heard that one? <laughs> I have heard that one. Oh, oh my God. So many. So or many. Like, but like it's, I mean, have you all ever been shamed for not drinking? No. I do know that uh, on occasion people will treat you differently, but I think it's more because you're reflecting back to them something they don't feel good about. So for me, definitely never shamed, except in the very early days when, you know, I'd be around my using friends, but I was like 20. But since uh, in, in recent years, yeah, just that. Just the people you can tell it, it makes them feel weird about themselves. Absolutely. How many times have you been in a restaurant and the, per the, the waiter, server, tries to keep pushing a drink on you and you finally just look at them and say, I'm an alcoholic? Oh, every time. So I think it's funny. It's the funniest thing to me because they're like, dear in headlights is hilarious to me yeah it happens so all hilarious. the time me and uh, a couple of my buddies will go out to dinner and you know we're like kind of a lively tattooed younger crew and they're like what are we drinking tonight and we're like water you know and they're like what <laughs> but then i gotta remind myself that you know the more that we drink the more tips that they get so they're not doing it to put me down or make me feel weird they're just trying to make a buck you know <laughs> Again, that's right. No, you're you're 100 percent right. You're, and and look, I, and I don't make people. You know, I don't I don't say that and then make them feel bad about themselves. I say it and then I laugh. Right. right? I'll say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, and you know, we make a joke out of it. It's fun, and it makes the situation a little bit less whatever. less strange. I mean, it's not it's not like yeah, a little bit. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, and and like you said, it's a great point because people fear that. What will people think of me if I don't drink? You know, it's like this social acceptance thing, you know, where it's like, what would people think if I didn't drink or use drugs anymore? Like, you know, it just comes down to like what you said and what Angie said, and what I said. If we're okay with it, that's what matters. I don't care if people That's right. are upset that I don't drink. 
you know, their life wasn't in shambles. Mine was. So I just don't care anymore. And once you don't care, it's no big deal. It's kind of funny to think back as you said that I was thinking, well, you know, we didn't care when we, you know, we're puke all over the front of our shirt or, or fall down in a parking lot. We didn't care about that, but we care about people caring if we don't drink. Yeah. It doesn't even add up. <laughs> oh man. You're going to love this Corey at uh, so where we work, uh, elevated addiction services, it's inpatient treatment. And the funny, the funny one to me, and hopefully this doesn't offend anybody, but you'll get a person that's three days sober and they were just shooting heroin or meth or living on the streets and they get all up in arms that we don't have tofu that day or something like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I'm, I'm vegan. Like why is there not a vegan option? Even though there is, but they make this big stink. I'm like, dude, you were just shooting heroin like two days ago. And now like, we're the jokesters that like don't have bean sprouts. You know, like <laughs> that is so freaking funny, dude. That that's hilarious. Well, they're probably vegan before because they just didn't eat. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, I just had to share that. That, that one cracks me up. Oh I'm, yeah, I'm a big carnivore guy too, so yeah. I I got a little pushback on. I'm it. a big. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, dude. So you know, uh, I interviewed Sean Baker. Do you know who? Yeah. Do you know who Sean the Baker? Carnivore is? MD guy. How was that? Yeah, was that fun? Yeah, I had him on. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, if I mean, honest, he was slightly distracted during the interview, which was a little weird, but maybe he was just hungry. <laughs> he's thinking about the maybe. Yeah, he's super, he's, he's like a, he's like a world, he holds like a world title in rowing. Really? Yeah. Kind of odd, but whatever. Powered by Elk State. World title. Exactly. Exactly. That's amazing. But yeah, so that's super it cool. Is. That's super cool. I like. I like. I. I think it's funny you brought that up because I think diet. To me, I view diet the same way as I view addiction and recovery. Like there's just so many nuances, and it's not one size fits all. But people think that it is, and it's just so bizarre to me. Like I would never tell you well, how to eat. Sure. Yeah, I'm like a big keto you know, fan. I, that's I live on that diet, but a lot of people they cannot. That is not for them, and they don't understand. And then I've known people that have done the carnivore diet, and they love it. And I'm like, how can you only eat meat? I love meat, but don't you miss like salad or something? And and so yeah, I mean, there is no one size fits all. But I think if we're being mindful of our bodies and and overall avoiding processed foods and that sort of thing, then uh, you know, any anything can go. Yeah. Well, I think too, you know, and this is just a quick fun fact. Um, sugar is more addictive than any illegal substance on the planet. Oh yeah, probably kills Why? just because you more can, too. Kills way more. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, think about it. You can go get sugar anywhere. I mean, you practically get alcohol anywhere, but you can get sugar anywhere that sells anything. And it's in everything. So, Until you start reading labels, you don't realize it's literally in everything. That salad you're getting, that's super awesome. But did you look at that dressing? You know, you just took in 16 grams. When you thought you were being healthy, you took in 16 grams of sugar on top of your healthy salad. And so, you know, until you start getting that awareness of how insidious it is and in everything, uh, yeah, it can it can get pretty bad. 
Yeah, I told one of my, I remember this guy that I worked with um, when I was training, and I I was not eating super healthy at the time, and so I had a salad and I had blue cheese dressing all over it. And he said, "Hey," he said, "Let me give you, let me paint you a quick picture." It was like you're. He said that salad that you're eating. And he said, after you put that blue cheese on it, he said, here's what I want you to think about next time. He said, think about working all week long and you get your paycheck on Friday and you take a cigarette lighter and you light it on fire and you burn the, burn the check up. He was like, that's essentially the exact same thing you're doing with that salad. Wow. He was like, do you really think it's helping you if you put all that shit on it? And I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. But if I was doing halfway, right? Kind of like, yeah. But but it, that but that stuck with me. And that was like, I mean, man, that was 2010 when he told me that. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, until you know, you don't know, and you assume you're doing the right things, and you until somebody enlightens you, or you you do some research, or you figure it out for yourself, you think you're doing the right things, and you're just why am I spinning my wheels? Why can't I lose weight? Why is this happening? And so, and I think if people could start getting more understanding and hatting on health and nutrition, there would be less addiction and things like that because they would feel good naturally and less illness and everything yeah. else that's going on in the world. Sure. Yeah. The cures are simple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, technically we have the pharmacology to fix ourselves and heal ourselves in our own bodies. Yes. Like that's why, I mean, that's how people survive for uh, forever. And quite frankly, without doctors. Um, you know, without doctors, right? And so right now, it's interesting because I've been going through this gut health transformation. And what I mean by that is I did, it's, it's a certain food you eat for a certain number of days, a salad, a different things in a salad, and a certain way you have to do it. And then sauerkraut because that feeds the bacteria or feeds the good bacteria. And then I'm taking the supplement and it, it has, it really has, has cleaned my gut. It's, it's weird. Like, I do feel so much better. Um, and my stomach doesn't bother me. And anyway, my point in saying all that is that 99% of Americans, because of our, they call it the sad diet, standard American diet, yeah. um, has leaky gut. And leaky gut contributes to inflammation. And inflammation contributes to your body breaking down and dying. So I think it's really important that, you know, if you don't pay attention to these things, and like you said, Angie, if you don't know, you just don't know. And and I didn't know. And I was in fitness for a, over a decade. Yeah. And I didn't know about this until recently. And it's amazing though. And I, I've really enjoyed this process. And now I don't crave that crap that I was eating before. I just don't. And so un until I, one day, until the, you know, that addict mentality comes back in and says, Oh yeah, you can, you can do that for today and tomorrow you'll be fine. And then six months later, you're like, damn it. I did it again. So it's so crazy. Yeah. Sugar's, it is. It is. Sugar is awful for you, though. Awful. Yeah. No, it is. And the, my, my favorite is just the parallels that it it draws with, with recovery, where if you don't know, you don't know. You know, so if you're listening to your sponsor or somebody else that got sober in a certain way and you start doing the negative things that they do because you just didn't know. 
right? Like it's hard to view like blue cheese as this like super negative action that you've been taking for 15 years, you know? If you didn't know right. bacon shouldn't be on salad, you just don't know. <laughs> well, and, and I would love to tie this together because you said something really important. You said the parallels between, you know, uh, recovery, sobriety, or, or I can't remember exactly what you said. And, and here's the parallel is there's so much sugar in alcohol. That's why we go through such a deep. That's why we go through such an awful time when you quit drinking. Mm-hmm. And so for, for me, I would just eat sugar. Oh my God. I mean, I would eat 10 Reese cups in a day. Like has that gotten through anytime I felt like I needed a drink. That's what I did Yeah, because that was the only solution for me. And it worked. Yep. No, it's super true. Yeah. Yep. And that's why part of our program is, is uh, actually telling people so they know what sugar does and to try to deter that as a means of getting sober of like, let's try this without all that kind of stuff. And let's try working out instead and see if that gives you the same feeling. And I think that's, again, where just education has to come in where we can show people a different way. 100%. Well, so Corey, as we're wrapping up, is there, why don't you tell everybody what you're up to now? Like where, where can they find you? What are you doing and what's happening in your life? You've obviously come a long way. Um, I have. I have. Um, And had some setbacks in that long way. So (laughs) uh, right now, I I work with small to medium-sized businesses. I typically work with the business owner, and then I work with their sales team, Um, whether it be inside or outside or call center or in – I already said inside. Um, It's interesting because I'm actually a sales coach, but what happens is I get into a business – and I start working with the owner and we find different holes in the boat, so to speak. We hear Andy talk about this all the time. And so just bringing a fresh set of eyes to look at your business is always a good thing because if you're working inside of the business, it's really hard to see that kind of uh, disassociated perspective. Right. And so I give that perspective, whether it's popular or not, I still give the perspective and I, you know, and I, and sometimes it's hard conversations because, you know, some people are really tied to their people that are not performing and that's a hard conversation. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does. It almost sounds like you're a business therapist. You know, (laughs) they talk to you, you help them figure out what's wrong. You know, it almost seems like that's sort of the, the hat uh, coaching and whatnot. It is a little bit from time to time, for sure. Yeah. It, and it can certainly go that way if you know, if you let it. <laughs> yeah. Well, business is also like a very like uh, egoic, like egotistical just situation. You know, like everyone's kind of selfishly out for themselves. It's us against you or vice versa. So it's hard to take in constructive feedback because you got to protect what's yours. And it doesn't allow you to see the flaws. So you got to be right. skilled to navigate that. So kudos to you. Thank you. Um, one other thing I think that I do really well is I have the ability to keep the business owner in the know. And I also have the ability to bond with the employees 
So I have their buy-in mm-hmm. to tell me whatever I need. And I have the owner's buy-in to tell me what they need. And then I just bring that together and everybody's happy. Right? Simple. So, yeah. With the glue, but baby. Simple. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And so tell yeah. us also about your podcast. You have a pretty successful podcast as well. No pun intended. Successful. <laughs> no pun intended, right? Yep. It's called Successful Life Podcast. I started it with... Ironically, were you at uh, the syndicate meetup in 2019? Okay. So that's actually an interesting story. I went there. I was pretty nervous because I I was kind of in that in-between stage when I got there. And Ryan Williams, which you probably know him by now, right? No? Okay. So um, Ryan Williams is just... Uh, he's such an amazing dude. Um, he's a Navy SEAL. Um, he owns, in fact, he he does all the he does all of our RK shirts. All of them. like he's the one that does all of that stuff. Anyway, um, he's just a super guy. And so I went up and I introduced myself to him. I knew he was in the syndicate. I had not joined yet, and and I wanted to be near people that were in the syndicate. So I introduced myself to him, and we took a picture. And I had to my, you know, I had my show slug. That's it. My mic was in a box. I had never done anything to do with a podcast. I didn't know shit about it. <laughs> and so when I turned to him and I said, hey, I said, I host a podcast. I'd love for you to be a guest on it. And he said, yes. And I went, what am I going to do now? now i got to learn how like, to podcast. What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, like I had no idea. And so I spent the next two weeks like, I mean, like 19 hours a day, dude. Like it was crazy <laughs> learning how to do this because I'm just I'm not a technical guy, and so there's a lot of stuff. I mean, it doesn't seem that hard now looking back, but at the time it was, yeah. it was very foreign. Yeah. So, so yeah, but I've got to interview some pretty amazing people. I mean, I'll tell you, it's it's been awesome. Because you get to have conversations with people just like you, like we're having now, and and it's just a great conversation, right? I mean, it's not weird, it's not uncomfortable, it's and lots of times you get to talk to people that otherwise you may not have a conversation with. Thousand percent. I mean, there there are people that I've had on my podcast that you have to pay them seventy five thousand dollars an hour to speak. Wow! And because of the podcast, they just come and do it for free. And like, that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah. That's definitely one of my favorite parts of podcasting. It's like yep. connecting with people and talking about ideas and getting it out into the world and having a good time doing it. Yeah. And I think we're lucky yeah. because we launched mid pandemic. So I think there's been a lot more availability to talk to people than maybe existed pre, you know, 2020. Yeah. And so I think that's been really cool too for us to be able to, like you said, just get to people that you never would have thought you got to and you have a medium to have that conversation. And I and I love it. It's been like my favorite part of the year for sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I've really, yeah, I've, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I think there's probably only been, you know, I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. I think there's only been two podcasts that I just, did, that I purpose intentionally didn't put out. Um, but that's it. And I've probably done, I've done well over a hundred. And I just, you know, their message just didn't align with my audience. And like you said earlier, it's my damn show. 
I can put it out if I want, or I can not put it out if I want. I have that right. Yeah, and and, so, well, and we're at a point where you don't want to put out something that's not on brand, you know, or that will hurt your what you're trying to do. So we have that discretion as well. Well, yeah, my people don't want to hear about, you know, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so, you know, the opposite of how I feel politically, they, my, my people don't want to hear that opinion because they don't care about that opinion. So, Well said. Yeah, yeah. And we've had to uh, navigate that very well through our tenure on the show. <laughs> Well, it's just on, it's on, you know, it's on everybody's mind and it, it just comes up because we're all having that experience. So it just, it just shows its face. And, you know, as a treatment center, we're far less worried about politics than we are getting people sober. Big one. Well, we should, we should wrap, uh, Corey with you just kind of plug in where everyone can find you and where everyone can find your podcast. Yeah. So everybody can find me just at my normal name, just at C-O-R-E-Y-B-E-R-R-I-E-R on all social channels. And then also my podcast is called Successful Life Podcast. You can find that pretty much on any of the podcast channels. Um, You know, and also I do have an Instagram for it, which is at Successful Life Podcast. You can also check out some stuff there. Um, I've been a little bit slack about updating it. So, you know. No judgment. You have a great website, though. Yeah, I mean, but that's it. Yeah, you do. Your website. You. Yeah, and killer. my website. What did you think? Which one? That my CoreyBarrier.com? Yeah. yeah, when we were, uh, yes. when I was trying to, I was trying to Google your email so we can send you the Zoom link. I was like, maybe it's on his website real quick. And Andrew's like, oh, damn, that website's awesome. Yeah. So it looks really good, man. I like it. One of our arts. One of, one of our RK brothers did they that. They did great. I really enjoyed nope. the little icons with kind of all the services like each icon was yes was like a target and then an arrow and then a graph like i really that was catchy i like that yeah he did great he really did great so if you ever need anybody if you never know know if you know anybody that ever needs digital marketing stuff like i've got a superstar so awesome yeah well Corey, thank you so much for being on the show man this has been great and hopefully we didn't uh you know, scare too many people with the things we talked about and hopefully they let it land. Well, we're going to see. Well, we? Yeah, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. Yeah. I really appreciate All right. it. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. Okay. Yeah. Likewise, brother. Thank you. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free, confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.